Hello, salam, and welcome to another episode of the Ajam Podcast. I'm your host, Rustin, and today I'm here with one of my favorite cohorts, uh, Kamyar Jarazadeh. Welcome, Kamyar. Good to see you again. Thank you, Rustin. I'll take it. One of the favorites. I won't make you choose a real favorite. It's good to be back, Rustin. I am very excited to not only be here with you, as usual, but to introduce our guest because... I'm sure as people can see from reading the title, it's another music episode, which, again, I might be biased, one of my favorites. We are very lucky to have Joseph Bohigian here with us, who is a composer and performer presenting today a recent composition that we're going to discuss from this year, The Water Has Found Its Crack. And I'll introduce very briefly Joseph before we get him on to discuss some more of his background, the work, and the piece itself. Joseph is a composer and performer whose cross-cultural experience as an Armenian-American is a defining message in his music. His work, particularly the work that we're going to listen to today and talk about, explores the expression of exile, cultural reunification, and identity in diaspora. There is been a lot that I've been sort of thinking about and engaging once we learned about Joseph's work. And we're going to touch on things outside of music as well today. But we'll also be playing a little bit of the piece, which I think will be great to sort of hear what we're going to be discussing. So let's just let's just get, I think, right into it. Joseph, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Joseph, I guess my first question is if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into composing and how your Armenian heritage played a factor in your your musical career. So I started playing a piano when I was five years old. The typical like piano lessons as a child uh, is one of the things to do. Took up percussion a few years after that and started really getting into music. And then before I started in college, took a summer course in composition and just really fell in love with it and decided to formally study composition. Uh, and at that point, I hadn't really done much in terms of Armenian music. It had been something sort of separate from my own musical practice, more of just something that was part of my normal life being in uh, the Armenian community in Fresno, California, where I grew up, like going to church or Armenian events with like the Kef music. Before my second year of college, I took my first trip to Armenia. And that's when I really started to combine my interest in all things Armenian with my study of music. I went to some lectures about Armenian music. I studied with an Armenian composer, Artur Avanesov, who teaches at the conservatory there. And I wrote a piece that sort of took the folk song, Tsiranitsar, and sort of broke it apart and spread it out across the whole range of the piano. And that was the first time that I had really thought to take anything Armenian and use it compositionally in a way that was mine. And that sort of like was the thing that spurred me on to really take that on in new and more creative ways as I progressed as a composer. And the the next big project that I really took on that explored that was for the 100th anniversary of the Armenian Genocide. In 2015, I wrote a piece commemorating the centennial and started to try to look more deeply at like what what are the elements of Armenian music that I can try to bring into my compositional voice 
and use in my own way. Because with that first piece, it wasn't it wasn't entirely me. It was more quoting a folk song. So at that point, I tried to bring in the style of Armenian music into the style of my own music. And from that point, started to take that in new and different directions with uh, other pieces over the next few years. I mean, I've always find this so interesting. Like your early musical education and your sort of exposure to Armenian music versus engaging with it in Armenia. I mean, were you already sort of engaged in the tradition or was it something that actually did come later once you made the trip there? I guess I'm just wondering, you know, how far were you sort of in your like classical music education before you really got involved with sort of Armenian music? And what was that like sort of bringing the two together? I mean, I was pretty far into my classical music education. I had been studying music theory for a while at that point, but I knew absolutely nothing about Armenian music theory at the point when I went to Armenia. My really uh, very small experience with trying to do anything related to Armenian music at that point was I had tried to teach myself to play the dumbek when I was a kid, <laughs> which that's not even like an Armenian instrument, but they use it in the like Armenian bands that play at all the Armenian events. But that, that was my only experience with really like playing or studying Armenian music was this VHS of someone teaching you how to play the Dumbek. So it, it wasn't at all something that I had studied formally at the point that I went to Armenia. But so then was, was your exposure even before then, was it more kind of like you're saying Dumbek, like Western Armenian music then? Yeah, definitely. And that, that's something that I was thinking a lot about with this piece that we're going to talk about later, because I... Grew up in Fresno, most of the Armenians here are Western Armenian descendants of genocide survivors. And because the Western Armenian culture is more influenced by Turkish culture and Eastern Armenian is more influenced by Russian and Persian culture, there's a sort of disconnect sometimes in what's considered Armenian, not only in terms of music, but in terms of food. And there's, of course, differences in language and lots of different things. I think this is a good as time as any to start talking about your piece. Just for our listeners, again, it's called The Water Has Found Its Crack. Can you tell us a little bit about this title? And um, just kind of piggybacking off of your, your last question is, how did you come up with this composition and why is it important to you? The title comes from a story that was written about by the Turkish-Armenian journalist Hrant Dink. He was a journalist and activist who founded the bilingual Armenian-Turkish newspaper Agos, and he was assassinated in 2007. But he told this story about a French-Armenian woman who traveled to Turkey to visit the village that she was from, and she died on one of her visits. And so a man from the village called him to try to locate her family. They eventually found someone and when they went to go pick up her body, uh, the man in the village said, let her be buried here. The water has found its crack. I thought that was a really nice way to think about sort of the reunification with the land uh, and the people because of the history of how Armenians and Western Armenia were violently separated from their homeland and their culture. And the way Dink puts it is that it's not an effort to take the land back, but an effort to be, he says, uh, buried under it. So that story of being reunited with the homeland, not necessarily even the physical homeland, but the spiritual homeland was something I was thinking a lot about as I was traveling to Armenia to start writing this piece. Yeah, it's a very powerful anecdote. That's a, that's a really great one to share. I encourage everyone to to look it up and read about it. I think that's an interesting thread that you're picking up on. I was wondering how it sort of came through the music in terms of engaging these questions of exile and diaspora, but kind of on a level beyond, you know, the political or the nationalist questions, but really in terms of 
maybe the affect or the emotions. So I'm wondering, how were you thinking about that in terms of, of the composition of the extent to which to maybe touch on political themes through the music or to go beyond and um, maybe go deeper into some of those questions? Yeah, I mean, one really big question that I was asking myself as I started working on this piece was, what is Armenian music? And this is something that a lot of people have asked. It, you'll get a different answer depending on who you ask. There are people at times who have claimed certain kinds of music, like the Kef music that I mentioned earlier is not Armenian. They say it's Turkish, we shouldn't be listening to that. But like, there's no reason that we should be not playing or listening to that music just because it has influences from Turkish music because like Armenians lived with Turks. So obviously there's going to be similarities in music. There's no reason for us to take that out from our culture. And I'm, I was also thinking, of course, because like I'm an Armenian composer, but I'm also an American composer. Like I was born in the U.S. I've spent the vast majority of my life here. So my music isn't purely Armenian. It's Armenian and it's American. So I was trying to answer the question of like, what is Armenian about my music? In what way can my music be Armenian and American in an authentic way that's mine? Especially because I was going to Armenia to work on this piece. I wanted to find a way that this piece could sound like me and not somebody else. So, I mean, I do want to ask then what what that actually meant for you to really integrate this sound into your own music. But I do want to kind of give a nod to this ongoing debate and question that I think Adjam has actually had a lot of people write about. And I think it's come up even in some of the mixes, this idea of like when you have a really diverse musical tradition like Armenian music, where there's different forms based on different geographies and different heritages, these questions of authenticity always come up. And let's be honest, sometimes the debates don't really go anywhere. They go in circles. But we have had a lot of contributors sort of try to present, you know, just the diversity of the music with the idea that, you know, say what you want about it. This is kind of what exists. So I'm wondering in the face of all that and you acknowledging your own unique experience of, you know, also kind of bridging multiple identities, what did it actually mean for you to say, okay, I'm going to take this Armenian music and make it my own? Like, practically speaking, how did you do that in the composition process? In order to answer that for myself, I had to go back and like look at what are the elements of Armenian music that I want to incorporate into my own voice. And to do that, I, for the most part, really looked back at Komitas, the Armenian composer, musicologist, and priest. And so while I was in Armenia, I was working at the Komitas Museum Institute. And so I was looking into the folk songs that he collected while I was there. And especially the lyrics were really important for me in this piece. And so I was finding certain elements that were recurring in those and seeing how I could incorporate them into my music. It wasn't always a way that I thought, uh, like, I'm specifically going to take this figure and use it in my piece. I was a lot of times just listening to things over and over again so that I could really internalize them. And then when I was composing, it would just come out naturally. That's something that happened in one specific section of the piece where I was trying to write like a quasi-folk song. I wrote a few different versions, and then I found one that I really liked, and then I uh, showed it to someone. Uh, and he said, oh, that's Kurunk, which is like a really famous folk song. <laughs> and, it, and then I went back and looked at it like, oh yeah, that figure is from Kurunk. <laughs> so it was, it was really a, just a process of internalizing as much Armenian music as I could and letting it flow out however it would. 
so then, you know, you, you said that you did do a study of uh, of Komitas' work and, I, and I'm sure his writings. Did you at any point say, I'm going to try to take on these rules and these ideas that he has about Armenian sort of melodies and compositions? Or you really did just kind of strictly go for like a more organic process? I did try to take on his rules a little bit, actually, but I, I broke them a lot. Uh, <laughs> So I was thinking a lot about the tetrachord system that Komitas wrote about. So the idea is that there's these series of four-note tetrachords that overlap. So the top note of one tetrachord is also the bottom note of the next tetrachord, and they're sort of these links that go up and down. And so I use that tetrachord system to write the quasi-folk song, but then throughout the rest of the piece, I, I sort of used it, but then broke the rules a lot. Uh, so it's it's sort of there in the background. So it colors the overall like tonal aspect of the piece, but it's not something that I was strictly thinking like I need to follow these rules. So yeah, I wanted it to be there, but not control the way that I composed. I would like to play some komitas for our listeners and maybe kind of show a little bit of what he was able to do um, and kind of compare it to your music. Well, I think especially the song Kurunk that I mentioned is a good one. Also the song Antuni, which means homeless. They both deal with themes of like they're called migrant songs, like being away from home and wanting news from the homeland. And that's something I was thinking a lot about in this piece that I wrote as well. Joseph, I'm wondering if you could take us through The Water Has Found Its Crack, just starting a bit with sort of the beginning of the piece. What was going through your head here? The text for the piece deals with these themes of exile and dispersion that we've been talking about through the metaphors of water. Uh, I was... I mentioned I was looking through these Komitas folk songs and noticed that a lot of them were about water as a metaphor for distance and loss. So I took fragments of the folk songs and sort of reassembled them into a new text and used that. So, for example, at the beginning of the piece, uh, the text that I use comes from Jurku Aferin Saren, which means water flows down the upper hill. 
And so I was thinking about this idea of water flowing and the sense of like water filling in the cracks and filling in the cracks of lost identity. For the beginning of the piece, I represented that with these really long, stretched out glissandi, uh, and they're sort of moving very, very slowly over a small range, like only a quarter tone sometimes. So it's almost hard to even tell that it's moving, and then you realize that you're somewhere else. So it's just all these really slow, overlapping tones that are just like creating a, a mass uh, that are eventually stretching out more and more and more, and then it becomes busier and busier until it's just overlapping uh, sense of pitches. Did I hear you say that you were using quarter tones in the piece? Yeah, I am. So is that is that a nod to Armenian music, or what was the what was the thought there? Yeah, that, it's funny. Uh, using quarter tones actually gets back to the idea of what is Armenian music. Like going back to the idea of not playing certain kinds of music because they're like Turkish or Arab or something. Like using the oud and quarter tones. Some people don't like that because they say it's not authentically Armenian. That's not something I was necessarily thinking about for this piece. Um, I was more thinking about like getting into the cracks of like half steps and stretching them out. The first five minutes really has this ethereal vocal. It's very ethereal, and really around five or four minutes, they're interrupted, and you get this sense of dissonance and dread that the, the violin comes in. And I just want to kind of ask you, like, can you take us to the next step, how after five minutes we kind of get to this new uh, rupture and what, what what you're trying to do with that at that moment. Yeah, I, th- I think that's around the part where the, the text starts to really darken. So I, I'll just read from that section. The English translation is, your heart is crying as a sea of blood. Like, I think it's around that section. So it's really starting to get more intense. And that's sort of leading up to the climax of the piece. I, I was thinking of the shape as, of the piece as starting at a very calm point and intensifying, intensifying, intensifying up to the climax and then coming back down to a calm place. At that point, yeah, that's where I'm starting to bring in other pitches, other timbres, really having people start to overlap more on top of each other. Uh, and there's some like little solos uh, or little duos that come in at that point as well that are more uh, like rhythmically active. This is also the transition into 
the middle of the composition where you're trying to recreate a folk song. And I think this is very different from, as you mentioned in the first part of your composition, where you're borrowing different folk songs, historical folk songs. And can you just kind of talk us through the process of what does it mean to create your own folk song and what sort of tradition, what sort of sources are you drawing from and how was that process for you? Yeah, it was something that I specifically set out to do when I started writing the piece. It was actually one of the first sections that I wrote, even though it's in the middle. And I wrote several drafts, the first few of which I uh, threw out. My method was just to listen to as much of the folk music that was recorded as I could and try to write something that sounded in a similar style, but wasn't quite. And in the way that I wrote it, there was a lot of like really long ornamentation that leaned more toward the talk style of song. It's a little bit different than the folk songs that I was looking at. So I was borrowing certain figures like that uh, with the ornamentation and also thinking of the idea of unmetered singing, which is common with the folk songs as well. And with the text, I was thinking of these ideas of like displacement and being away from home, which is common in a lot of the folk songs as well. I want to go back for a layperson clarification and discussion. The folk song versus the talk. Can you explain the difference? So the talks like have origins in the 10th century, and they're more compositions in the conception of a composition that we have now uh, in relation to a folk song. That's just like something that the people are singing throughout their daily life. And they're more ornate, as I mentioned, than your typical folk song might be. Yeah, and I think that's important to just bring up because we often think about folk songs when we think about Armenian music, but less how this sort of other, you know, usually more spiritual form is kind of different in its own ways, even though it is, you know, sort of part of the same larger tradition. So kind of interesting how you engaged both to different extent the composition. Yeah, and in the end, I'm not I'm not writing folk music. I'm writing something that's intended to be sung by professional singers. And going back to our earlier point about what it means to engage or whether it's in the early 20th century or now, engage with like a 
quote-unquote authentic musical tradition. What I found sort of exciting about this piece was that it's kind of playing with those ideas a little bit and, you know, not afraid to, as you said yourself, go outside the rules, kind of go outside the lines of the tradition you're borrowing from and kind of create something new as well. And so it's, it's interesting to see how you also kind of brought that thinking in in terms of the composition itself. Joseph, you said that you're writing this to be performed by professional musicians and singers. Can you talk about your relationship with your performers? I know, uh, according to your notes, you had three soprano singers, you had percussion, violin, viola, and a cello. I mean, I'm a completely like um, the opposite of a musician, so I don't really know how a composer would choose like, okay, these are my instruments, this is the range I want to sing. How did you actually go about creating these roles for these people? And how did these people play them? Like, yeah, what's your relationship to the, to the performers? The three sopranos that are on the recording, Alina, Heidi, and Catherine, are friends of mine from Stony Brook University, from graduate school. They've been on this project for a year now. They were working with me since last fall when I started composing the piece, which has been really important because, at least for me, composing for singers each singer's voice is really unique, so it was important to be working with them during the composition project. And you'll notice probably from their names that they're not Armenian. None of them spoke any Armenian when we started this project. So we worked a lot really on pronunciation uh, since I am setting an Armenian language text. And the rest of the performers are also friends of mine uh, from graduate school. I had intended to have this performed in New York sometime this fall, and to have it performed actually in Yerevan back last spring. But of course, uh, COVID prevented that from happening. So it was actually a really interesting process of putting this recording together. All of the performers recorded their parts separately to a click track, and then I assembled it all together on the computer and then (laughs) put the final thing out. Yeah. So so what I'm curious about then is if you could explain in more detail the nature of the text, to what extent you had a hand in putting them together, selecting them, just what your process was. And then if you want to go ahead and share some of some of that, that would be great. I had mentioned uh, I was editing English translations of folk songs collected by Komitas uh, for a book that was being published by the museum. And I was noticing a lot of similarities in themes of displacement and dispossession and in using water to describe those. I took out lines that I thought were really evocative and started rearranging them and putting them together. It's kind of interesting connection in terms of the ways that Armenian family histories are sort of pieced together and missing elements. And there's sort of these jumps because like going back to the generation of the genocide, we sort of don't know a lot. So there are a lot of gaps in our family histories. And when I'm going through this text, there are some gaps, there are some jumps, things that don't make sense how you got from one thing to another thing. It's because they're coming from different sources. And so you have sections of the piece where all of the text comes from. One folk song, for example, at the end, we have Gnats Garun Yakav Ashun, Gutrav Jerik Achbionerun, Gnats Ashun Yakav Garun, Gater Jerik Achbionerun, which means spring has passed and autumn came. Water has stopped flowing from its source. Autumn passed and spring has come. Stream waters have started flowing again. And then you also have sections like uh, the quasi-folk song that I mentioned earlier, where I'm taking fragments of text from three different songs, Tunari, Tsiranitar, and again back to Tunari. In Armenian, it's Turen Iverhandera, Jura Tunus Kandera, Desnumek Ints Patela, 
es anirav arjunso, shutara yetar tzirek, tziratet dan antera, which in English is, fields cover the valleys, water has destroyed my house. Look, an unjust bloody sea has overcome me. Hurry up, return, come back. Your beloved is abandoned at home. So again, coming from different sources, but I tried to reassemble them in a way that they made sense. Thanks for sharing that. That was very powerful. And I think you showed some of our listeners what those common themes are and that imagery and how it relates to the emotions that you're sharing in the piece. We will be playing out some of the song to end today, but I wanted to thank you, Joseph, on behalf of Rustin and I and Ajam, and wondering, can you just share where people can hear this and um, just more about kind of any other projects you're working on right now? Best place to go would be my website, which is just josephbohegan.com. I'm also on SoundCloud. You can find me there. And as far as future projects, I'm soon, hopefully, going to be starting work on a new piece about uh, Syrian Armenians who were displaced during the civil war in Syria who have resettled in the Republic of Armenia. There's a really interesting project called Rerooted, where they've been interviewing Syrian Armenians who are in Armenia. I'm going to be incorporating some of that audio into a piece of music. So that's my next project. Joseph, it was a pleasure having you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. For our listeners, once again, that was Joseph Bohigian. He's a composer and performer. The piece was The Water Has Found Its Crack, and you can find it on his SoundCloud. Once again, if you'd like to engage with us, if you'd like to add to the conversation, please find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we'll carry on there. Until next time.